Company Watch Financial Analytics. Hello and welcome to the Company Watch Coronavirus Podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Hi, Joe. We're recording today's episode at lunchtime on Friday, the 5th of March. And it won't be a surprise to many of you to know that today's podcast is going to be dominated by budget, um, looking at the OBR forecast and, and the budget measures themselves. Um, I think most of us knew the headline announcements um, long before the Chancellor stood up at the dispatch box on Wednesday. Um, but we'll examine them in more detail and um, and just see what the OBR has got to, to say say about them. We've also picked up a few other interesting stories this week. Pre-PAC um, administrations have come under scrutiny. So Nick is going to, going to go a full nerd for us on, on that. Um, obviously, the supply chain finance issue with Greensill being in the news this week, we thought we'd pick up a little bit on that. And a, a slightly philosophical ending for, for the Friday afternoon um, to get your thinking caps on, to think about insolvencies and the difference in practices between the US and, and UK and what that might might look like as we come into the recovery, hopefully. So, Nick, budget, please. Budget, okay. Well, let's go through the headlines, and I want to break it down between um, what I think you could describe as business survival measures, or kicking the can down the road, if you were slightly more cynical. Mm -hmm. Um, We obviously need to talk about tax rises, and then we're going to go on and talk about what the OBR have said about it, and the IFS, which is always interesting yes yeah um and and when we talk about the business survival measures again i want to break it down between the general measures for the economy as a whole and those that are specific to different sections so the general ones pretty straightforward um furlough scheme extended to the end of september but and that was a change from when was it meant to be it's april i think april Mm -hmm. april so now you get it through to september but in july employers have to pay 10 percent and in August and September, they have to pay 20%. Yep. And presumably, the thing falls off a cliff edge um, at the end of September, when, of course, everything will be wonderful, because we'll be th- two and a half months post the end of restrictions and mm-hmm. the pandemic. So won't it be wonderful? Um, so those, uh, uh, and, and the other general measure is the super deduction for investment, the 130% capital allowance. Mm -hmm. And as my Twitter timeline identified with much glee this morning, um, one of the things you apparently can get away with claiming for under the right circumstances would be a jacuzzi. So there we go. Oh, and I suppose the other other general point is that uh, what I think is a very good point is that they have doubled the uh, incentive for taking on apprentices to £3,000 a person. Which is excellent. Yeah, that is very good. Mm-hmm. Looking at the specifics, um, you've got the extension of the business rates holiday um, for the retail and hospitality sector, which is um, the holiday continues in full spate at 100% until the end of June. And then it's 75% for the rest of, of the fiscal year. So another nine months mm-hmm. worth of that. And are we going back to the the increased business rates is it is the rate increased or is that unclear well, well it's not clear the chancellor has said that he is going to review this in the autumn so that's right, another okay. can another can bouncing down the road as as that mm. particular can has bounced down a lot of roads for a very long time mm. um 
and it was notable that all the talk about um, an online sales tax didn't even get a, a mention in mm. the in the budget speech. Um, and again, for hospitality and retail, the VAT reduction has been extended. So the f- the reduced rate of 5% continues until September. And then for the following six months, it's 12.5%. Right. And, and that's important because, uh, you know, struggling uh, uh, hospitality uh, businesses um, are effectively swallowing that, uh, you know, the, the difference between the 20% and the 5%, they're taking mm-hmm. it to in- increase their margins. And I don't know anybody who uses um, hospitality outlets who isn't uh, isn't very happy for Absolutely. them to do that. Yeah, I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got um, restart grants, uh, two schemes, £6,000 per premises for non-essential retail and £18,000 per premises for hospitality, leisure, personal care and gyms. Okay. And then finally, uh, you've got two special schemes for uh, the arts um, and sport, £400 million for helping arts venues reopen and £300 million for professional sport. So okay. that, that, that is the, the positive side. Of course, it is very much, I mean, all sorts of jokes about, um, uh, you know, um, pay, you know, uh, spend pay, now, spend now um, pay later, mm. all this nonsense. Um, but the, there is the big tax rise if we're looking at corporate um, yeah. uh, uh, payments, corporation tax, from the beginning of the tax year 23-24, the rate goes up to 25% for businesses with profits over 250 grand, mm-hmm. assuming they haven't written it all off by spending money on jacuzzis. Um, and if your profits are under 50 grand, you stay at 19%. And there's a taper arrangement in the in between, which in between bits, can okay. create a marginal corporation tax rate of twenty six percent, according to experts. Oh, really? That's... Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, and know. it's worth saying. So the corporation tax, you know, that's that's been a focus of a lot of of, of commentary. Um, and I'm going to kind of slightly segue into the OBR, but the OBR um, pick up that this means that by twenty twenty five twenty six, um, corporation tax will be raising three point two percent of. GDP, and that's the highest since 89, um, 19. Yes, yeah, so levels. broadly speaking, this the cost of the test and trace system. Yeah. Or should we say test, because there's clearly not much, not tracing, much tracing going, going, on, on, going, going on. And, and mm. for all of you who have been um, uh, conscientiously uh, using the QR code for the NHS test and trace app, when you go in a restaurant, a shop, or a pub, apparently they're not using the data. At all, they haven't used it at all. So that was that was a good scheme. Gosh, goodness. Anyway, so we're on to the we're on to the OBR, are we, Joe? Yeah, let's go to the OBR now. Um, can I start with this because this is my it's, yep. it's a line that is buried quite far down in the OBR report, but I feel like it is worth um, it's worth picking out and quoting. So um, it, this is where the OBR is looking and, and putting their forecasts into context with some of the other forecasts out there. Um, and they say the latest Bank of England forecast set out in its February 2021 monetary policy report is more optimistic about the outlook for GDP than our forecast. And indeed, than most other forecasts. <laughs> and I think that kind of tells you where we are in, in terms of the Bank of England being very much on the optimistic. And, the OBR, and to be fair, the OBR, let's 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 have a look at those those numbers. So the OBR has 
revised up, I would say, its central forecast. And basically, they they took the view that the, the downside and the upside scenarios that they presented back in November should stay in place. And they've only revised their central forecast. Um, and so the central forecast now has GDP growing by 4% in 2021. And it's back to pre-pandemic levels in the second quarter of 2022. And that's six months earlier than they had originally thought in November. And for those of you who want the in-depth GDP, I would suggest listening to last week's podcast where Adam Stone, <laughs> my colleague, did a brilliant explanation and, and helped Nick and I out of our, our fog yes. um, on that. Yeah, yeah. unemployment, because the other thing that they... <clears throat> They they always look at uh, and the revised. I mean, bear in mind they last looked at these things in detail in November of, mm. of last year. They're now saying that unemployment will peak at six point five percent in Q four twenty twenty one, whereas they were previously saying it would peak at seven point five percent, which is three hundred forty thousand mm-hmm. fewer people unemployed. Yeah. Um, in Q2 2021, um, it's still 2.2 million people at 6.5%. But um, it, it basically, I think, rests on the premise that by extending furlough and all the other support schemes <clears throat> for the two areas that are most affected by what's going on in the economy, which is retail and hospitality, oh, and I suppose plus the arts as well, <clears throat> then what um, uh, the the Dishy Rishi has managed to uh, achieve is perhaps to save a lot of jobs because the Mm. hope is that these businesses will come out the other side and will take back on the furloughed staff. And presumably as well, it gives... um people who are on furlough, there are all the the, the other, um, the grants, the apprenticeship schemes and various other schemes that I guess there's a hope that that by, by these allow, having time to start and perhaps those people who are on furlough, maybe realising that their jobs aren't coming back, have got another route um, in which to um, to go. So I think that that's a, that's a very positive um, side, I think, of that uh, OBR. Yes. I mean, I mean, the other thing that's, that's come out um, of the OBR <coughs> review of the budget and then the general business media's uh, review of the OBR's comments is this point that there is absolutely no provision in the budget for any COVID-related costs after April 2022. So we're not sure... That seems super optimistic, doesn't it? I mean, if we're talking about having annual vaccinations... For 50-plus million people... um, Mm. You know, and you're not. You can never be sure how long the largesse of um, AstraZeneca, with providing these jabs at cost, at cost. will true. will continue. Um, and also hidden away is the reality in the budget that it cuts fifteen billion pounds from the budgets of the totality of, of the government spending departments, but in reality from the the the, the so-called non-protected. One so mm-hmm. you know if if if, if uh, you've got risk going forward in the defence industry or in uh, environment or in culture, media, culture. and sport, mm-hmm. you need to be careful because the you know austerity is alive and well in those in those areas and will continue okay. into the, for the foreseeable future. And that's coming. The spending review comes in the autumn. Is that right? In the autumn. Yeah. In in the autumn. And that's also that that links into the business rate questions. Also, everything's on in autumn now, isn't it? We're we're kicking some some things down to, to autumn. And the other thing um, that I thought was was interesting to um, to talk about is, and I think we mentioned it last week, 
is it the 23rd of March? Is this white paper day on tax? So again, yes. we may be seeing, there may be things that aren't in here that perhaps are, are, are coming. And I think there was a deliberate attempt to separate the, the tax kind of rethink. Um, so again, yes, maybe I think, more to, I, I, to say. I think that's right. And of course, the, the last big point that comes out of all of this um, uh, is the borrowing. You know, and, and let's not go into the, the numbers on the borrowing because frankly, they are beyond mind-boggling. Mm. But what is important is that you know we are going to be in an economic scenario for a very, very long time where the sensitivity to interest rates is will be will be at the back of the minds of Chancellor of the Exchequer for decades to come as this as this debt is paid off. So what's your what's your figure? Is it one percent to one one percent rise in interest rates um, on government debt costs the uh, the Treasury twenty billion pounds a year. It's a big number. It's a big number. Half big number. half the uh, defence budget. Mm whatever that might turn out to be. And, and um, of course, you know, there is no doubting that there are signs of inflationary pressure growing all around the world. And, and sure as eggs is eggs, if you, get inf- if you get inflation taking hold, you will get higher interest rates. It was interesting. Um, Adam Stones and I were at the um, OBR um, press briefing. We were able to, to sign up for it. And Adam asked that, that question actually about um, this, this problem of inflation and therefore potentially rising interest rates and the issue about whether when that's caused not by demand um going up but when there's, a, there's an issue with supply being able to fulfill um demand and um adam king who's one of the um the the committee members just you know it's worth actually reading his quote in, in full he says where inflation takes off because supply is weaker than we thought and the bank of england has to raise interest rates to counter that you don't have the good news on the revenue side of the ledger, but you do have the bad news for the spending, and that's the kind of fiscal risk that the Treasury is going to be worrying about. And that's like the, the he doesn't say this, but it's a kind of apocalyptic yeah. um, scenario that, that the Treasury really just don't want to think about, probably. Um, yes, maybe the final point before we get on to the uh, the excitement of prepack insolvencies um, is uh, the reaction of the dear old IFS and Paul Johnson, he of the spiky hair, um, who uh, just basically came out and said. The uh, the borrowing figures and the tax raising figures in this budget are not credible, and left it at that pretty much. Mm. Apart from repeating all these points about, you know, all the costs that clearly aren't in the budget. So um, it, it's very interesting. I've never seen a budget that was has been quite so roundly um, rubbished by both the Telegraph on one side as destroying Thatcherism and everything that the Conservative Party stands for, and by the Guardian on the, on, on the other, um, and, and blaming uh, Rishi for everything that's wrong with the economy right now. Um, so it's very interesting. I mean, because all normal judgment says if, if, if the Telegraph and the Guardian think you've got it wrong, you've probably got it right. But we'll see. Oh, we'll see, indeed. We'll we'll, see. We'll, we will see as it comes on. So let's let's turn okay. now to the prepack. Prepack um, insolvency reform. Insolvency. Here we go. Full nerd mode. Um, the government the week before last announced its plans for um, dealing with the, the widely held view that connected party prepacks are a, a source of much abuse. And I don't think anybody would deny it. Um, you know, even insolvency practitioners know that these, these things... Um, can go wrong, and they know they'll never convince the creditor community that these things are fair. 
mm-hmm. and above board. Um, so what the government has said is prepack uh, sales must be independently reviewed in future. It was voluntary. There was this oh, prepack see, panel, okay. prepack mm-hmm. panel, which never, frankly, never functioned. Um, anyway, from here on in, it's mandatory. And these reviews are going to be carried out by, and the phrase the government uses, evaluators. But, um, and as you might expect, the insolvency profession uh, hackles were raised because there's no professional qualification or experience requirement to be an evaluator. The only qualification to do this job is that you must have um, uh, public liability, um, uh, sorry, professional indemnity insurance cover. That's all. I mean, whether you can get that cover without being suitably qualified is another matter. But basically, everybody went, Even so, well. What the other problem is, uh, so that that raises the spectre of low quality evaluators, mm. maybe tame evaluators. That's another risk here, if they're not under any sort of professional regulation of any sort. But what is uh, interesting is that what a number of people have come out with, including the insolvency profession, uh, saying is we're going to have opinion shopping because. Yeah. The administrator can go to a number, you know, if, if he doesn't like the first review he gets, he can go to another one uh, until he gets one he likes. Um, but even then, there is no requirement to cancel the sale if the evaluator says it's not fair. So if, the neg- if there's a negative opinion, the administrator can go ahead and do it anyway. I mean, he will then be accountable to the creditors for why the heck he did. But I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, nice try, but... It's a bit toothless. It's a, it is a bit toothless, to be honest mm. with you. And, and, you know, I think everybody, including the insolvency profession, would quite like it to be toughened because I think insolvency practitioners are fairly fed up with being... With being Blamed beaten, for... Mm. Beaten around the head by creditors and other interest groups. Um when uh, th- when they don't like prepacks, I mean, d- don't get me wrong. Pre- prepacks, you know, they do go wrong, but they are a valid rescue tool. But it just needs to be done better. And and how how firm are these? Is this it now? Is this this is this, you know, is, this, is, this is this is it? Well, they haven't legislated. This is just okay. the announcement of proposals. Okay. So you know, these things may change as they go as they go through uh, Parliament. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll keep see. an eye on, on these things. Um, I think before we, we come, I mean, that, that, that's quite a nice link onto that that last point we were going to make, but I do think it's worth just slipping in our um, our observation on the Greensill um, supply chain. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, finance. Um, and actually, have they, I think they, they've filed for insolvency in Australia. Have they also filed in the UK or about to? They're they? they about to file in the UK. I haven't heard that they have. Um, I haven't looked this morning. Anyway, so dear, dear Greensill, I mean, this is innovative business finance, and we all know the risks with innovative uh, techniques, uh, particularly where they're techniques that aren't generally understood. Mm. They can be abused. And, you know, the, the impact of this going wrong with Greensill, um, there's some suggestion that up to, f- up to 500 clients might be destabilised by this. There's a lot of talk about one particular client um, who has a big position in the uh, sort of heavy industry here in the UK might struggle to, to find an alternative source of supply um, of, of this sort of finance. finance. Mm. Um, but where Joe and I came at this from was the disclosure problem. Because 
the the issue here is that if a company is using this source of finance, it isn't disclosed as debt. It's disclosed as a trade payable. Yeah. And so Joe, Joe and I, prompted by an article by in the FT, went looking at one of their major green source major clients who uses other um, supply chain finances as well. And when I had a good look through the accounts, um, I had to get to page roughly 190 out of 261 pages in their accounts. And I found it, a little note in the trade payable section, uh, which said that they were they were using close to half a billion pounds worth of of supplier finance facilities. And we don't know actually the spread of those. It just we, we don't. We it don't just, ref- the, um, just refers um, somewhat airily to partner banks mm-hmm. in there. Um, and of course, not only uh, can you not see the debt because it's hidden there, but you can't see the costs associated with it. So the discount call it interest, it's another form of interest. Mm. Um, that's not disclosed. So you can't see the, the, the exposure of the company to changes in interest rates because you can't see all the interest costs yeah. in there. And, I mean, it's and- interesting because, I mean, I've, I've talked to, to, to clients of ours who use this in the past. And, you know, for, for, especially in, in, those kind of, in those sectors where there's a long, there's a long path to creating value and um, for smaller suppliers, they can't wait to have 120 day terms or whatever. So, you know, this, this mechanism allows smaller um, people in the supply chain to get their money quicker and they're actually happy with the discount. And you know, if you've got a very solid um, company underpinning that, the discount is, is low. But the, yeah, I think you're right. It's just not, it's just not knowing that, that this can crumble. And, and as we've seen, it can crumble pretty spectacularly quickly um and you know you have it's kind of layers of layers of um insurance and and various other things piled on top of each other and as soon as the 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 base starts to wobble yes and and it's quite interesting uh, the the scale of this because you know that the company the uh the client which is is a major high profile FTSE 100 company with a half billion uh, exposure in this area it's uh prompted, uh, you know, first of all, that exposure of half a billion um, had been only 90 billion two years earlier. Mm. So it had grown very, very considerably. So it's a technique being more and more, we use more and more and more. But I, uh, Joe then very sensibly said, hang on a minute, how can, how can company watches clients find easily those companies that are doing this so they can identify if they need to look at the risk more carefully. And so um, using those particular sets of accounts, I looked for the key words in the paragraph on page 190 and relayed them back to Joe. And Joe, you use, well, you, you tell the rest of the story. Yeah, so we, we, uh, we use our search tool. So that's the, where we've um, done the OCR um, document um, searching. So we make the company's house document searchable um, through our, our tool. Um, so I looked across... I don't. I mean, we. It's all the companies that file full accounts at, at Companies House. So I, I looked at these key phrases: supplier finance and supply chain finance. I think those two different um, two different words. And I think I got, I came out with about four hundred and fifty unique companies just looking at those two um, two terms. Now I haven't done a, a, a big in depth um, dive through, but it'd be interesting if anybody's interested in in learning more about that. Then let us know, and maybe that's something that um, one of our um, one of my colleagues might might look into further. But I think it just shows, doesn't it, that there are all kinds of little nuggets hidden in 
account it can be quite tricky to actually get get hold of them so I was really pleased to 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 be able to use this and and just get a, a kind of flavor for yeah and the curious thing is that what, what I, it makes me worry is that you know I'm I'm for my sins uh, an avid reader of the notes at the back of sets of accounts and um I'm not sure I would normally have looked in that area because trade payable is not really an area, you know, I'm looking almost everywhere else in the notes mm. for things that worry me. I, and it was only because we were looking for it um, that we found it uh, yeah. buried there. I think normally you'd skim through that and go looking for looking at borrowings and, and all those sort of mystery areas. And change. I think I think what you pointed out for this particular company, now we're not particularly worried about this company. Yeah, um, yeah, we've got lots not. of other other options. But but the 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 fact that it is increased so much um in that relatively short period of time, mm. it's worth asking a few questions about why that that may be. And it may just be that the suppliers have thought I prefer to be paid on 15, 30 day terms and happy to take the discount than, than yeah, the other yeah. terms. But, you know, it's worth really um, if the terms have suddenly changed. So if if the company was paying on 30 day terms and then suddenly changed to mm. 90, 120, again, that would be an interesting thing to yeah. know. So, yeah, more. it is. So that brings us on to a little philosophy, does it, Joe? It does, yeah. And this is a really, I liked your, you, you picked this up from the Washington Post, didn't you? Yes, um, um, the Washington Post um, highlighted the fact, uh, and it brought me up short because obviously we've talked in these podcasts relatively recently about the uh, uh, the government measures having made it so incredibly difficult to go bust here. Mm. Uh, you know, and, and so before I tell you the, uh, the American position, uh, remember that the UK corporate insolvencies in December were down 27% on a year before, the year before. US corporate insolvencies in 2020 rose by 20%. Now, um, I spent a, a lot of the back end of my career in insolvency, running around the world, developing an international network of, of insolvency practice, uh, practice business rescue firms, call them that. And I spent a lot of time in America and a lot of time debating with Americans the difference between their Chapter 11 debtor-friendly system and our system, which uh, however you wrap it up, and, and despite the cha recent changes in Sega with you know moratoriums and and reorganisation plans. Which is trying to get to the chapter eleven, wasn't it? The yeah, we are trying to bit, head towards um, chapter hmm. chapter eleven. The fact remains, uh, America has a debtor friendly rescue culture, and we have we still have a creditor driven, if not friendly. Um, uh, uh, process. I think people uh, who've got have been on the wrong end of prefax would. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah. I, I, I know, but I mean, you know, the, 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 reality, I think right. the reality is there are two different philosophies at work mm. here. And, and so, of course, what this means is that the American economy may very well exit the pandemic in a much healthier state than we will, because it will have cleared a lot of dead wood mm. through the use of Chapter 11. Um, and it should recover more quickly post-pandemic because, you know, they're going to come out of this with companies with less debt, not, in our case, yeah, more, more debt. debt. Mm -hmm. um, and, and remember, you know, we're, in the UK, we're going to exit the pandemic with £75 billion worth of COVID-related loans, soft loans. On top there. of all the, you know, the zombie companies that we, we've looked at before, we already had. I, I, um, I know. And, and you know, the latest estimate is if, if, as hasn't happened yet, but 
almost certainly will. The rent enforcement uh, ban is extended to June. The British Property Federation um, estimated there would be £7 billion worth of unpaid rent arrears. So this is the sort of stuff that gets washed through in a chapter 11 you know chapter 11 is a strange beast and it does produce some really odd results from a british from a, a, a british business rescue standpoint but the bottom line here is that there's a cultural point underlying it and uh, it's not just chapter 11 although chapter 11 comes out of the, this cultural point business failure in the in, in america has no stigma because you know they have been brought up to believe that you don't get it right until you've got it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, nobody succeeds until they've been bussed twice. You know, just yeah. talk about the immediate past president of the States who, who not just chapter 11 with some of his businesses, but chapter 33, by the you know, um, uh, if you excuse the, the number um, of, um, the, number the of joke. Um, yeah. And so what it means is that the owners and managers of trouble companies in the States aren't inhibited from seeking help and and looking for solutions mm. when when there's a problem, and they do it earlier, presumably they do it much it, earlier. They're not mm. they, they don't go, but you know, bumbling on hoping for a, you know the blue sky solution to their problems. They damn well go and sort it out. Mm. And it's interesting, and, isn't it? I suppose in the context also of the um, wrongful trading provisions here, presumably yes. will keep businesses going longer than than perhaps they they should. Um, and you're right. I think that we have that that sense of of permanence with businesses in in the UK. It's if it's a a family business or you know wanting to mm. wanting to keep it in its in its current state rather than thinking actually let's we need to close this and we can start again. And there's not the um, there's not that yep. stigma as you've said. So uh, just a little bit of philosophy there that I just mm. think the American way of corporate rescue business rescue will stand them in better stead than ours where all we've done is kick the can down the road. It's all we've done. You know, great that it's happened, but um, there will be so many zombies uh, out there that it really, really worries me. But I think, and then that's the thing, isn't it? it was, it's we, what this, what I think the idea of the of the rescue schemes were to, to kind of preserve the businesses that were viable, but actually what it did was allow businesses that weren't viable to keep going for, longer and i think that in the the american system that they've managed to sort, sort those two camps yep. um out better well thanks very much nick for um for ending on that on that note um, pleasure as always joe it's been um really really interesting to to talk through all these issues i hope you'll join me again next week uh, well um, you try stopping me <laughs> <laughs> thanks very much nick thanks everybody for listening until next time goodbye 